It's time to talk UK sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Report Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats. Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome into our Tuesday edition of the Leach Report. Rainy skies here in Lexington, Kentucky, for our start of the show today. Uh, coming up, Tom Hart's going to join us from ESPN and the SEC Network, and uh, we'll talk about the college sports scene. Larry Vaught, per usual, on Tuesdays, and Jim Host will be with us in the final segment today. I uh, got a note from Jim yesterday after Don Shula's passing that uh, he had, had developed a relationship with him from uh, with Shula from the time when Shula was at Kentucky. So, uh, we'll, which was in the late fifties as an assistant on uh, Blanton Collier's staff. So, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Shula and his uh, impact on the NFL. So that's our guest lineup for today as we roll into the Wildcat News of the Day, a service of Cardinal Point Financial Group. That's Private Wealth Advisory Practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. Uh, DeAndre Williams, Evansville, seems to be the hot name of the moment as it pertains to Kentucky's basketball roster for next season. All signs pointing to strong interest from Kentucky. And people close to him tell KSR decision may come by the end of the week. So may not have to wait long for the uh, young man from Evansville. He's not a back-to-the-basket scorer. Uh, so he wouldn't fill that void. But you're talking about a guy 6'9 to 6'10, good passer, could be a, a pick and pop uh, type of guy, would just be a, another uh, big guy to uh, help on the boards. I think uh, the, the big thing for Kentucky will be if they can uh, find some kind of a post presence. I think they'll be fine defensively. And um, you know, they, if they add Williams and he's able to play, gives them another body for uh, rebounding just to have. Um, you know, if, if you don't have the one stud guy there, then you have multiple uh, bodies that you can uh, throw and keep fresh legs out there from a rebounding perspective. But it would be nice to have that low post presence. <laughs> Excuse me. And the best options probably, if he elects to uh, shop around, is Olivier Saar for Wake Forest. They're trying to keep him there. He's entered the transfer portal. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit with uh, Larry later on in the show. Uh, for those who scoff at a transfer from a mid-major like Evansville, just uh, would remind you, Hashimu Evans came in from Manhattan in the late 90s and was a key part of a national championship team at Kentucky. Uh, University of Louisville got its notice of allegations yesterday. It includes one level one uh, violation allegation, uh, three level twos, one of which is uh, for uh, former coach Rick Pitino not promoting an atmosphere of compliance, which... He issued a statement from his new post at Iona firmly disagreeing with that uh, contention on the NCAA's part. Uh, certainly that's not a surprise that he would firmly disagree. Um, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll see how that plays out for the Cardinals. Former Kentucky or current, current I guess, Kentucky wide receiver B.J. Alexander is entering the transfer portal, according to Cats Illustrated. That's the third player from the Kentucky roster to do that at this point. Um, it's just going to be the way of the world 
moving forward, I think, in, in college sports, and particularly in, in football, where you have a lot of um, you know, guys that they come in to fight for time at positions, and if they start to lose that fight, then they will maybe look for other places where they can find playing time. Not uh, really a, a surprising thing that it would play out that way, and especially as if, if transferring becomes uh, more uh, easy, it becomes easier, I should say, with um, the NCAA does indeed at some point pass that rule where you can immediately be eligible. That will only heighten the transfers, one would think. You can have three more non-conference games yesterday, including a, a date for the Detroit Mercy game with uh, Coach Cal coaching against his son Brad, who's at Detroit Mercy. That date is November 13th. Also, Kentucky will play Hartford on November 17th and the Richmond Spiders on November 23rd. And on coffee with Cal yesterday, uh, Coach Cal said that uh, they're trying to figure out if uh, that game in London with Michigan is still going to be able to happen. The NFL has uh, pulled the plug on all of their international games and uh, moved them back to the United States, and it would seem likely that that would happen with this Kentucky-Michigan game. So maybe uh, I'm guessing here that uh, maybe Kentucky would end up playing at Michigan uh, to start that series this coming season, and then the London game would come up um, the following season or the, the one after that. Links to the stories that we talk about each day, you can find those on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. Uh, got a little technical issue today that we're dealing with, so if our uh, mic sounds a little different, that's why. We'll head to a break. Tom Hart will join us when we come right back. Our show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. We'll be right back. Welcome back into our show. We go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Bring on our buddy, Mr. Tom Hart, to uh, talk a little sports. How are how's the lockdown going for the Hart household? Well, it's um, we're making do, I suppose, Tom. It's great to hear from you. Um, you know, usually for me personally, I get up in the morning and I grab the phone and I flip through and check scores and see what I missed last night. And and that would have been if I were paying attention, maybe the uh, Korean baseball organization scores this morning, but instead, instead of going to ESPN or, or another score site, now I go to the CDC site and I check different scores every morning. So it's it's, it's certainly different. There's no question about that. And uh, those scores are a little depressing. Um, yes, most days. Yes, they are. Um, I uh, noticed on Sunday morning. I'm I'm a thoroughbred racing fan living here in Kentucky, not surprisingly, and I get up Sunday morning, flip on Sports Center, and the lead is not one of the Triple Crown races. It's a prep race for the Kentucky Derby that leads Sports Center. I'm like, okay, that's going to be the last time that ever happens, I'm guessing. But, <laughs> well, it's a unique time um, for any live sports to get some get some attention and get some traction in a way you never have before. It was Another night, I would have stayed up and watched the uh, Korean baseball debut last night. Carl Ravitch was calling it from his home, and Eduardo Perez was uh, also in in his home. I think Carl was in Connecticut, and uh, and Eduardo was in in Florida. Um, and lo and behold, just in the most twenty twenty thing ever, they come on the air at one a.m. to cover opening day in South Korea professional baseball, and there's a tarp on the field and a rain delay. Because, of course. Of course. <laughs> that, that seems perfectly appropriate for 2020. Um, 
yesterday you sent out a uh, a tweet of uh, a retweet of uh, I guess a Peter King article uh, his uh, weekly column on the NFL, which is uh, wonderful. And in in that he talks about the resumption of the NFL season. And uh, you uh, in your tweet say now replace NFL with CFB. And um, in in Peter's column he's talking about the schedule starting on time. Um, but he also says that you know they're going to have to realize it may be uh, the most unique season in league history and that it could be imperfect and wholly unfair. So uh, college football fans may have to be ready for adjusting on the fly too, right? 100%. And, and that's why it appealed to me, uh, those, those three words that you mentioned, imperfect and wholly unfair. Um, we are used to, in the sports world, people complaining about an unbalanced playing field, and, and we need to make sure everything's as level as possible, and, and we know that's not uh, 100% accurate. The NFL does a good job as anybody, right? You you have a terrible year. You pick first the next year. Your schedule gets easier. They love parity, and they love um, everybody in the country thinking every few years they're, at least their team has a chance to win. So college football is inherently different, and we get that. But the, the second line of his suite was uh, something along the lines was that the sooner we accept that, the more we'll be able to enjoy it. And I think that um, – I think we will have college football this year. I think that people need to understand, though, that it will be um, – we'll have to celebrate its perfection for its imperfections. It will be different. It will look different. It will sound different. Um, there will be – you know, the, the game's going to – the game itself is going to look different in many ways, I think. Um, and we just have to accept that. And that's everybody because there's so many – people who have stakes in the game of college football. And, and we could go down the line and extrapolate this through the college basketball season. And for me, a, a guy who loves college baseball, I think the same would apply to college baseball. But but really all sports, um, if we want them back, and there's so many different stakeholders, we all are going to have to make sacrifices. And um, you know what? You may not be happy that there aren't fans in the stands, uh, especially early on. Or you may not be happy that your team doesn't – didn't have spring ball or doesn't have all the time in the world to get prepared. And um, instead of having 40 student managers on the field, you know what? Maybe the player's going to have to hold some tackling dummies and get drills set up. Or um, instead of coming off the field, everybody has a, a protein shake waiting for them. Maybe the players have to make their own protein shake. And, and not all of that is bad for college football. We've gotten to a point where, you know, the money being spent and the lavish I mean, it is lifestyles can be lavish in many ways. Um, probably got a little bit out of control, and I'm not saying that they need to be controlled, but it's a great reminder to appreciate what we have in normal times. And and I was just texting with somebody last night. So, boy, when these games start back up, I sure am going to appreciate whenever we get there what we know as normalcy. Yeah, agreed. Um, talk with Tom Hart from the SEC Network and uh, ESPN here on the Leach Report on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Um, I'll see if you agree with uh, the, the feeling that I have, that, which is I think by the end of this month or uh, at most a week or two into June, we'll maybe have an idea of uh, whether or not these things are going to come back in the fall um, at a, a fuller steam, if you will, because – as things start to open back up and as there's less social distancing and, you know, all of this, you know, the, it, it's going, it's pendulum swinging back the other way here in May. 
and we'll see what the impact of that is. The lag time on the you know the disease will it'll be the end of the month or early next before we kind of see the impact of that. And if the impact is something that society is feel like is, is manageable, then you can kind of envision uh, what might happen by September. Would you agree? Yeah, um, it, it's funny as you as you're going through that. I'm thinking to myself, boy, how different is it? This conversation that the two of us yeah. are having this morning than we normally do, and um, and all of us, uh, I think, have gone from, you know, we've removed the Monday, Monday morning quarterbacking we typically do during any given season, and now we're Monday morning health experts. But we, you know, we learn as much as we can, and the, as the incubation period, we learn more about that, and and then you know, testing keeps coming around at these various states. Um, I will, I then we can sort of put a timeline on it. I would say this, though, that we may not, we may not know what's possible in the fall, um, but I think at the end of this month and into, into mid-June, the plans will have been shaped and shared. Um, the caveat being that those plans can always change, and they can always be delayed by um, – any other bad news that comes down the pike, whether that be a, you know, a second surge because states have been opened up or, um, just simply learning more about the disease and its after effects and, and direct impacts on communities. So I think that if you're Greg Sankey, for example, you have to put out a plan. You have to put out a timeline. And for all indications I've heard and read and, and know about what he said last week, I think the SEC is going to make plans for an on-time football start. That doesn't mean that they have a consensus within the states, within the schools, or even ADs. Every athletic director out there, uh, as powerless as they are in some of these scenarios, it seems that they all have um, they all have a different view of it. They all have different values when it comes to what's important for them out of a football season, and that's fine. You, you, know, you never have a consensus in a grouping uh, as diverse even as the SEC is. So I think you put a plan together and you say, what can we do to play football in our part of the country? And then Greg Sankey reaches out to other commissioners and, and they share this with their school presidents. And the message, in my estimation, will be something along the lines of, we are going to be ready to start by date X. And if you're with us, great. And if you need more time and you're not with us, that's fine too. But just understand that we're ready to move forward, and we have put the value in starting by this date as of this time, knowing that that's always going to be flexible. I do think we could have college football without fans. I know that's been a, a lot of coaches have gone, you know, uh, I think there probably seems more of a feeling that the answer is no, but what do you think? Oh, I 100% we could have college, and, and I'm saying we could. I'm not saying it's it's going to be good for us or great for the game or whatever it might be, but it, it goes to that, that Peter King line. Like We've got to be willing and able to think outside the box, and if the value is simply playing the season, and there are a lot of reasons to value that, whether that be media rights or staying on schedule and, and not having this impact negatively two seasons and just take the hit for one and, and staying on track for the draft and overlapping with other seasons, there's a lot of different things obviously are impacted. Um, I think it would be wise to plan for no fans early on and, and make adjustments going forward. And if the answer is, you know, we have multiple plans out there and 
um, gosh, we could we could open up the gates on October 1st or we could open them November or, you know what, we're not going to be op- able to open them until we have a championship game in Atlanta in December. Um, I think people are going to have to understand that not to take this personally, that we're going to do, um, I say we, that prover- they are going to do what's in the best interest of of the sport or the conference or the schools to um, to make sure they get as much value out of something that's going to be inherently broken one way or another. Um, they can get as much value out of it as we can. I, I personally, if the choice were, um, you can have college football with no fans um, or no college football. I, I would certainly choose college football. The other thing I've learned, Tom, yeah. is that um, we have to have filters on because everyone comes at this from their own uh, perspective and their own value system because everybody everybody has a skin in this and, and everybody uh, everybody's influence is a little bit different from the next guy. Tom Hart, got to run. Thank you, sir, for the time. We'll stay in touch. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Tom Hart, and we'll be right back on the Leach Report Radio Network. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Welcome back into our show for this Tuesday. We go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Bring on Larry Vaught, his weekly visits to the program presented by Country Boy Brewing of Lexington. Larry, I see a a survey just out from ESPN today. They surveyed uh, fans age 18 and up. 65% are in favor of sports returning, even if there are not fans in the stands. And 88% say they plan to watch as much sports as they can whenever sports do return. Either of those numbers surprising to you? I'd say the only surprise would be that they're not higher than what they are because I would <laughs> have been a 100% on watching them when they re- return. I don't want to go overboard on sports with no fans. Cause I don't. I, the, the safety factors still have to weigh there, but I would even thought that would have been higher because I think most of us just want something to watch, Tom. Yeah. Uh, you're going to watch South Korean baseball? If it's on, I will. Yes, I certainly will. I've been, I've been even seeing some of these game show type sports activities and all that they've been promoting that are coming on different networks in the next few weeks. I'll probably even sit and watch all those. You know, this is in the Wayback Machine, but when I was uh, a kid, this would have been around 1970, they had a, a this is when, you know, those athletes weren't making uh, nearly then what they're making now they had a show called sports challenge that dick enberg hosted and there would be two teams they would be pro teams and it might be you know the baltimore orioles with like frank robinson you know brooks robinson and jim palmer against the reds johnny bench pete rose and joe morgan or something and they got extra money for doing the show yeah, and I, I remember watching those, Tom. I sure oh, yeah. do. So I, I think anything that comes off any kind of competition at all for a while, most of us are going to be happy to watch because uh, there's just not much else to do and, and not going to be for a while. Well, let's talk about a couple things you've been writing about at vaultsviews.com. One, Olivier Saar, the young man from Wake Forest who's entered the transfer portal but could still decide to stay with the new coach at Wake. And um, he, if he... Yeah, on paper he he looks like his game is a good fit to Kentucky, but you wrote that otherwise there might be a question. Yeah, I think his game would be an excellent fit with, with Kentucky, and I think it certainly could help that he's indicated he would like a chance to play in the NCAA tournament, which pr- 
probably won't happen if he stays at Wake. It, it, it could with a new coach, but you just don't know. But, again, kind of like with Matt Harm, some of those that, that know Sar fairly well have kind of wondered whether the, the bright lights and all the attention at Kentucky would be for him or not. So uh, I, I just kind of worry how that fit would come out there. And I also know Steve Forbes is really, really pushing to try to get him to stay there. And the assistant coach that Sar hoped was going to get the head job and didn't, and that's what prompted him to put his name in the transfer portal. He's now been, surprisingly, he's been retained to stay on Steve Forbes' staff, and I think his primary purpose is to get Sar to stay. So I think just by looking, it may be going to be kind of difficult for Kentucky to get him. I, I wouldn't be surprised I'll see him staying at Wake Forest. What about uh, DeAndre Williams from Evansville? That's, that's an interesting uh, deal there. I think he certainly is a player that could you know, provide some things for Kentucky. I would assume, and I don't know this, but that maybe he would get the waiver where he could play since his coach got dismissed, kind of the same with, with, with Saar. And uh, I don't think that Williams would be a guy that's just a program changer, but he could be a nice fit into the rotation for what you need and has some experience. I'm talking with Larry Vaught. You can read uh, the stories we're talking about at uh, vaughtsviews.com. On the the football recruiting front, uh, Douglas High School wide receiver uh, DeKal Crowdis is going to announce Sunday, I believe. Uh, and. Right. Seems like a lot of the predictions I see are favoring Kentucky. Is that what you're hearing? Yeah, I mean, I've kind of felt that way for a while. I think since he returned from IMG Academy in Florida, where he played last season to come back and play his senior season at Frederick Douglass, I think that was a really good sign for Kentucky. I think his teammate, Jagger Burton, who won't announce until sometime in the fall and is the state's top-ranked high school junior, I've always thought for quite a while he's going to be a Kentucky guy. In fact, I interviewed him one time, or he came into the studio one time, Tom, when I was hosting your show during the yes. summer. He came in wearing a Kentucky shirt. So <laughs> I thought that maybe was a good sign when he came in doing that. But, yeah, I think I think DeKell is a, is a guy that Kentucky certainly would, would like to have, and I, I think they're going to get him. He's, he's a big-time player. And that's, you know, it's, I saw B.J. Alexander's enter the transfer portal, given, you know, what can the recruiting success Kentucky is having at the wide receiver position. It wasn't a surprise to see the name of a receiver who hadn't been able to crack the rotation to any great degree yet choose to leave. No, and, and every team has so many receivers on there, and you keep bringing in new guys. I think that's just a, a side of the way things are and, and you can't blame those guys for leaving anymore no. than the guys that leave to come to Kentucky. It's just the way college athletics is going and probably going to go that way even more once that transfer rule comes into effect where you can transfer immediately and play that transfer portal then and next year will probably really be a busy place. If there's not a, uh, a dramatic change on the, the medical front, there's uh, all the schools seem to be looking at bringing students back on campus uh, for the fall, so that would be sometime in August. Um, and if if that's happening, then it's easier to envision games happening in some way, if not exactly on time, then maybe not too much longer after that, right? Well, you, you hope, but then I sit and every now and then I make the mistake of sitting and watching the, the, the different news 
stations, and yesterday was one of those, and now all of a sudden they've doubled the number of expected deaths in the next two months, and I don't like it, and talking about another surge that's it's likely could be coming. So I, I, I don't know. I think the schools are trying to be prepared, both if they can come on campus and they have their plans, if they can't be on campus. So part of me wants to be optimistic. Then I start reading this, the, the science and the medical or listening to those folks again, Tom, and it just makes it kind of hard to be optimistic. So I guess probably it's going to be another month or more before we're even going to really have a true indication. But at least just knowing there's a chance, that does make you feel a little bit better. And if um, we do get games at, as scheduled on the Labor Day weekend or shortly thereafter, um, we're, you know, it's going to be interesting to see which – you know, teams did the best job of their players being able to work out, staying in shape, eating right, etc. It's it's a it's a way you might gain a little bit of an edge or or lose uh, a little bit of an edge. Yeah, it sure is, and it's, it's interesting. Uh, Neil Brown at West Virginia, one of his players is, is from Boyle County. Of course, he's home now. He was only on campus a couple of months. It's Reese Smith, a freshman. But I talked to Reese the other day, and that's one of the things that he said that Neil has really been hammering home with this was a, a chance for a team like West Virginia just to outwork everybody when you're not on campus and come back with a little bit of, of a head start on others. And Mark Stoops kind of said the same thing on the conference he had last week with, with folks. But the bottom line is I guess you still, they're all having to trust players that are to be eating right, working out right, and doing all that, and you just don't know. But, again, I think as you and I talked last week, to me, that gives Kentucky an edge because they got so many veteran guys. And right, going to need a whole lot of newcomers to help them. I think that's a big plus for Kentucky. No, I think that's a really good point. And lastly, another story you have at your site, Vaughtsviews dot com. And this wasn't a surprise. Bailey Vick's not going to come back for Kentucky softball. No, I think Rachel had known that all along. She has Bailey had had too many really lucrative job offers in the finance world. One of the sharpest athletes you could ever be around. I mean, just an amazing intelligence that she is and such an outgoing person. I hated that her senior season ended the way it did because she had a, a tough junior season offensively and came back this year and just had been fantastic. And But, but no surprise, you just can't turn down the, the opportunity she was going to have. Probably ended up paying a lot of money to come back to school for another year. Rachel knew that was coming. I think the same's going to be happening with Alex Alex Martins, who was having a historic season. But, but Bailey Vick, if it's somebody you never had a chance to see play or never had a chance to be around, then you miss something because she's a pretty unique young lady. Larry Vaught, thank you much. We'll talk next week. All right, Tom. Quarter Coming up on a quarter before the uh, top of the hour, Jim Host is going to join us when we come right back with uh, some reflections on Don Shula, who passed yesterday at the age of 90, an NFL coaching legend who spent some time at Kentucky. Uh, we'll be right back on the Leach Report Radio Network, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at Tom Leach KY. Back to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Jim Host joins us now to... Uh, Reminisce a little bit about Don Shula, who uh, was an NFL legend, all-time winning as coach, died uh, yesterday at the age of 90. And he was on Blanton Collier's staff at Kentucky in 59. And, Jim, you were telling me in an email yesterday that you uh, developed a relationship with him through his time at Kentucky, right? I did. Uh, I started doing 
color for the Kentucky Central Network there in those years. There were five different originations of games. And Kentucky Central, uh, through Garvis Kincaid, had just started a network to promote his insurance company that he had just bought called Kentucky Central Insurance. And I was doing color with Dee Huddleston and then took over doing play-by-play during the basketball season. So I, I uh, spent a lot of time with the assistant coaches, uh, primarily because I was getting a lot of uh, analysis from the various uh, assistant coaches that we used on the network. And uh, Don Shula was terrific uh, to work with. Uh, he was he was a defensive coach. He had played at John Carroll University in Cleveland. He had played with the Cleveland Browns, so Coach Collier knew him from the time that Coach Collier had spent as an assistant coach to Paul Brown at the Cleveland Browns. And uh, but this assistant coaching staff uh, was uh, had eight coaches that ended up becoming uh, head coaches. Uh, people like Bill Arnsparger who co-head coach of the New York Giants. Uh, Don Shula went from Kentucky to become the head coach at uh, the Baltimore Colts. Uh, and uh, uh, John North, who ended up becoming the head coach for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, it was an unbelievable assistant coaching staff. And at the end of the year, I remember running into Don Shula because there were editorials and a lot of heat on, the, on Blanton Collier, uh, and the knock was that the assistant coaching staff wasn't very good. Well, <laughs> obviously, over a period of time, that didn't prove out to be right. Uh, yeah. I ran into Don Shula about, uh, oh gosh, 10 years ago, I guess now, uh, in the uh, Delta Crown Room at the LaGuardia Airport. I was coming back to Lexington, and he was going back to Florida, and he was sitting over by himself in a corner, and I recognized him, went over and introduced myself and he and we immediately sat and talked about the time he spent at Kentucky. He said it was most enjoyable time of his coaching life as an assistant uh, because of the friends he made here and the warmth that how he was accepted into the community and uh, he was a really 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 good person. You know some of those friends he made here I'm assuming might have been two of the guys that were on his staff with the Dolphins when they had the the only perfect season in the NFL. His offensive coordinator was Howard Schnellenberger, who was in that famous picture of that 59 staff. And his defensive coordinator was uh, Bill Arnsparger from my hometown of Paris. Exactly. Uh, Howard uh, Howard and I are really close friends. And we were, he was a senior when I was a freshman at UK. And he became an All-American in football that year. Bob Hardy often often says that I made Stellenberg an All-American. Hardy was a, was a quarterback of that team. And uh, and the thing about that uh, time that Coach Kyer was here, he still holds the only winning uh, record as a Kentucky head football coach other than Bear Bryant. And, uh, and uh, the, the job that he did was unbelievable because uh, President Donovan, uh, who was president of UK at that point had uh, put a stipulation in after Bryant left that they could only recruit a small amount of players from out of state. So he literally cut the recruiting lifeblood out of UK's football program. And can you, if you can imagine that sort of thing going on today, but one of the reasons they hired Shula was because as a defensive mind, he was a great defensive mind, but he also had great ties into the state of Ohio in terms because he, he was from Ohio. Uh, he was just a outstanding. I mean, he—you could tell 
he was going to be something because he had a great presence about him and a great ability to be able to communi- communicate with the kids. Yeah, when he was hired by the Colts, I saw in, in an obit I think on ESPN yesterday, he was only 33 years old. He was the youngest head coach in the NFL. And Sullenberger, uh, after he worked with uh, uh, Shula at the, with the with the uh, Dolphins, and uh, Sullenberger talks about the fact he developed his relationship with Shula as a result of them both serving as assistant coaches on the UK staff in '59. And think about this: in 1963, which was or 1961, which was Coach Collier's last year, another assistant coach came onto the onto the scene at Kentucky, and that was Chuck Knox who ended up becoming head coach of the Rams and uh, was a great head coach in the NFL. So, good golly. Uh, Ermel Allen was another assistant coach on that staff that ended up becoming uh, the chief guru of helping build the great Dallas Cowboys teams. He went from Lexington at UK to go to work for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, So, uh, we've had some great coaches here over a long period of time in football. You just think of that staff, and just serves to underscore that uh, the the players. You know, it, it's great coaching's great. It's great to have, but you still have to have the talent. No question, and uh, uh, and as I said, Coach Collier, uh, one thing he did that that Coach Bryant never could do was to beat Tennessee. Yeah, uh, Coach Collier beat Tennessee uh, seven out of uh, nine times, and. Uh, and uh, won seven of those games, uh, lost one, tied uh, tied one, and he he always could beat Tennessee, whereas Coach Bryant could never beat Tennessee. And, of course, in those years, it was critical because Tennessee was our biggest rival. It's a, it's a great story. I appreciate you giving us uh, some of those remembrances of, of Coach Shula. Um, and then you can get a lot of great stories uh, from Jim's time uh, as a broadcaster, as uh, the architect of the UK radio network we have today, etc. cetera, uh, in Changing the Game, the new book. Hope that's going well for you. It is, and they can people can order it uh, through jimhostbook.com, jimhostbook.com, and uh uh, it's amazing the people I'm hearing from all over the country who uh, have heard about the book and I've ordered the book and uh, uh, it's been very gratifying. Uh, uh, but it was a lot of fun to be involved in it and uh, obviously you're in it as well as a number of other people. Ralph Hacker who worked very closely with me over a period of time to help build the network and his role at WBLK, which is how you got to the network. Yeah, it's uh, uh, great. Uh, it's a great read. A lot of great stories. And uh, if you f- uh, go on Facebook and you can look up and, and connect with the the book project via Facebook, there's a lot of great pictures that uh, your wife Pat is putting up that folks will enjoy as well. So, uh, Jim, I appreciate you jumping on with us to uh, remember Coach Shula and uh, good luck with changing the game. I to do it, Tom. Thank you for your time. Bye bye. Quick break, and we'll come back and wrap up this edition of the Leach Report in just a moment. Tuesday edition of the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. This day in UK history, a birthday, Larry Steele, one of the all-time great free-throw shooters uh, from the early 70s at Kentucky, went on to a very successful career with the Portland Trailblazers in the NBA. Uh, We have 
unfortunately lost some high school coaching legends in recent weeks. Um, Russ Day at Bourbon County, Bobby Barlow at Bryan Station, and the latest one last week, Don Richardson. Just in that condolences to uh, his family. Legendary Madison Central baseball coach, 35 years there. I saw, according to a tweet from uh, our buddy Mike Fields with the KHSAA, Coach Richardson won 952 games. In 82, he had an undefeated 40-0 state champion baseball team. And he was also a great basketball coach and led Madison Central to the Final Four of the Sweet 16 in 1987. So uh, rest in peace, Coach Richardson, one of his uh, players over at Madison Central on the baseball team. Uh, back in the day, as the saying goes, was uh, Ralph Hacker, the aforementioned uh, Mr. Hacker, and I know he was close to Coach Richardson. I uh, want to remind you about our friends at Shuffle Bean Coffee. It's a Kentucky-owned company. And we always encourage you to help out local companies during these tough times. So order some Shuffle Bean Coffee through Amazon Prime or pick some up at the Kroger store. Give it a try if you haven't already, and you're going to love it. It's a uh, operation that is focused on quality, they like to say, from seed to cup. It's what has made them the official coffee of Rupp Arena and the KFC Yum Center and so many other Lexington restaurants. Give Shuffle Bean Coffee a try. We'll see you tomorrow here on the Leach Report Radio Network. Thanks for listening to The Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow The Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to LeachReport at gmail.com. See you next time right here on The Leach Report Radio.